Jesus was with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, in the, as recorded in the 16th chapter of the gospel, according to Matthew. And Jesus raised the question, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, some one of the other prophets. And Jesus said, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. But my Father, which is in heaven, each time that I attempt to stand before you to share from the word of God, I feel inadequate, but then I remember that flesh and blood cannot reveal unto you anything. Awesome facts, but it's the Father in heaven. And my prayer today is, as we've gathered here, some young people, middle-aged people, college students, senior adults, I would come to say my prayer is that the Father, who is all-powerful, would reveal some things unto us. When I come before a group, I always sort of feel like that as one of the professors I read of years ago, he would, he would always bow to his students and was asked, why do you do that? He said, I bow because I never know the power of God in the lives of those who are among us. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I, I feel humbled. When I realize that these young men are sitting here and those are sitting here and the, and the children to think, what power, what plans God has for us. And that I can look into each one of your eyes and say God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And I thank God for that opportunity of trying to share. Because God has had a wonderful plan for my life. Uh, to think that at 71 I would still be able to, uh, to try to share God's word. And it's been a joy to be here as, as your interim. As I told you, I'm not your interim pastor, but I'll be your pastor during the interim. But I thank God for this privilege. But also, I always have a sense of awe because I have written in the front of my Bible and I try to get up early every day that I have an opportunity to speak in and I, and I have written, it's the only one who can lead people into the presence of God is one who just come from the presence of God. And my prayer is, not that my message is so prepared, I want it to be, but I want my heart to be so prepared that nothing would happen this morning. No, no mannerisms would withdraw or take away from what God's Holy Spirit wants to say to us today. And so I want you to turn with me to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. You know, last week we dealt with the resurrection. And uh, as we came to the passage where the Pharisees and scribes said uh, to Pilate, go and seal that tomb because the disciples would probably come and carry him away. Because he said he was going to come out in three days. I want, if you would, I want you to make sure that he doesn't come out. And so the Roman Empire, the Roman generals, they come and they put a stone in front of the tomb and they seal it. <laughs> and I th as I read that over and over, I thought, I wonder what God in heaven was thinking. Here, I made that stone. I made this whole creation. And you think you're going to push it over before the opening is going to stop me? But then, you know, when the ladies showed up, the 
the stone was raised, was rolled away, and it said that the, the angel was sitting on it. You know what I had in my mind is like, what do you think about that? <laughs> maybe that's sarcastic, maybe that's sacrilegious, but I, I just think our Father in heaven must have been, uh, he must have laughed. And, knew, and I kept reading about that, rolling the stone away. I thought the stone needed to be rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let people in so they could see what's happened. But I have, uh, have uh, begun to think, you know, there's some stones in our life that needs to be rolled away. And God is the one who can roll them away. That Satan might have, might have rolled them into, into our path. But God is able to roll the stone away for those things in our life which give us difficulty. And one of the worst things, one of the worst things that our, the stone needs to be rolled away is from this thing of worry. Worry. Now I want you to know, I don't stand here being able to say that I'm free of worry. I raised two boys, or I guess I should say I reared two. They're uh, 44 and 41 now. I have served Baptist churches for 50 years. I'm going to tell you, folks, I am qualified to worry. But I want you to know that in my life, I, I have tried to make worry as a town I pass through and not somewhere I set up, a, set up a, my abode. Because, you see, worry is, is possible for all of us, or else why would the Lord talk about it? So as he's sharing this in the Sermon on the Mount, he's not sharing it in such a way as to, as to, as to, as to be angry with us. He just said, I understand. I understand. I understand where you are. And he's not whipping a, a straw man. So in the sixth chapter of Matthew, beginning with verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought. Now, he doesn't mean don't think about it, but he's talking about don't worry. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. Nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubic to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass in the field which today is and tomorrow is cast out in the open oven, shall not he much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? After these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Join with me in a prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We believe it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. 
And I pray that as we attempt to share that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our salvation, we want to call attention to you, Lord. We want to lift you up because you say, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And so, Father, I want today to lift you up. I want to be able to share truth, and I want to share it in such a way that it's the conviction of my heart. And I pray you bless each one who is here. We don't believe we're here by chance. We believe we're here by divine intention. So we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. About anywhere you turn, you'll be able to find some quotations concerning worry because we have lots of it around. I came across several. For example, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Another says, you, can wring, you cannot wring your hands and roll up your sleeves all at the same time. Love looks forward. Hate looks back. Worry has eyes all over its head. Worry is interest paid on trouble before it comes due. Grief has limits, whereas worry has none. For we grieve only for what we know has happened, but we worry all that possibly can happen. The real difficulty can be overcome. It's only imaginary ones that are uncomparable. No man ever sank under the burden of the day. It's when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. And we could go on and on and read others. You've seen them, and they're fine, and I I think they're good to think about. But, you know, I'm glad that we have more than just a few quotes. We have something in the Scripture the Lord tells us about worry. Now, one thing, if God tells us don't do something, it means he has a plan. Not like my mama when she'd say, I want you to do that. And I'd say, why? She says, because I said so. Because I said so. You know, when I go to the doctor and he says, your blood pressure is high, you ought not to have high blood pressure. Guess what? It runs my blood pressure up. And so the Lord doesn't tell us to do stop something if he doesn't have a plan. I heard about this uh, man who had a plan. He's going to hire somebody to worry for him. He hired this man and said, I'm going to give you $200,000 a year to do my worrying. The man took the job and said, sir, how are you going to pay for that? He said, that's your worry. <laughs> so when it comes to the human race, we all are... Uh, we all are are susceptible. I was thinking when I saw these little children come down this morning that what if one of them had come down and said, and just weep and said, Oh, I'm so anxious. I can't lay, I can't eat. I can't even sleep at night. Well, son, what are you anxious about? I don't have a pension plan. Or uh, one of them to say, a little four year old said, Oh, I'm crying, I'm crying. What's wrong, sweetheart? She says, Well, I'll never pass college chemistry. Maybe another one says, an eight-year-old would say, um, oh, I'm so worried. I'll be a rotten parent. I, I bet I set a poor example for my children. And if we were to hear one say that, what would we say? Don't worry about that now. Let it come later. But, you know, we as adults, we sometimes are so childish in, in the things that we worry about. And the Lord, in this passage of Scripture, he wants us to understand that, that worry does not have to to be something that stays with us, that stays with us. Worry means to choke or to strangle. Worry means to try to live in the future. Worry means to try to live in the future. 
And think about that is the future is not here and the future is not ours. He would have us to live in the present. Future is unknown and uncontrollable. Only God knows. And so understand this morning, God is not rebuking us in his word. He's not looking around and finding somebody where he say, gotcha. God is not that kind of God who, who, is, who is waiting to, to zap us. Sometimes we have the idea that if, 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 if only we can hold God at an arm's length. If we can just keep him at arm's length as though God is out to get us. And, and the Bible says, God says, his goodness is, is for everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. His mercy is for everlasting. God is, God is a good God. God is a good God. The Heavenly Father knows us. And he knows that we're weak. And as Psalm 103 verse 14 says, he knows that we are dust. And that's why we need him. That's why we need him. Dr. David Jeremiah in one of his books talks about uh, worry. He said it's irrelevant, illogical, inconsistent, irrational, ineffective, and irreligious. Corey Ten Boom said, Worry is an old man with bended head carrying a load of feathers he thinks is lead. Let's look at verse 25 of chapter 6. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and body than raiment? He says that worry is, is inconsistent. Is inconsistent. If we who are believers are people who are continually worrying, we somehow, like this, would say, Lord, I know what you say, and I know your intentions, but I just don't know whether you're going to be able to carry it out or not. And so the scripture here is trying to help us to say, understand that it, who is it who, who gave us this body? Psalm 139 tells us that, that we're wonderfully and we're fearfully made. And some of you look around and say, some of you are more fearfully than wonderfully made. But the picture that, that the psalmist is, is drawing is one that I've shared with you many times. He said that we are that we're made in, in God's image. He breathed into each one of us the breath of life. And even while we were in our mother's womb, God was storming us. He, he knew what, he needed, what we needed to be, what, where we needed to be. He knew our, who our mother and father ought to be. And it's like a, it's a picture that, that an artist goes into his studio and, and he takes a canvas. And he has all of, his, uh, all of his brushes and his paint. And he starts doing some painting. And each day he covers it up. And then he comes back. And he keeps on. And he keeps on. And he gets it just right. And then there comes a day in which the, the announcement is made. The painting is going to be demonstrated. It's going to be shown. And so they goes, ta-da! And they lift it, and there's ah, who in the line. David, in writing about God creating us, he said, it's just like that. That God, in, in our mother's womb, was creating us. And then one day when we were born, God says, ta-da! Looky there. And as we look around, none of us are exactly alike. But the Lord tells us in his word, 
Remember, remember who gave us the body. Who is the one who established the things that we need? Food, clothing, shelter. Has the creator gone somewhere? That was the question. He'd be asked, you know, has the creator gone somewhere? Has God created something he's not able to sustain? No, he hasn't. He is a creator and he also sustains. And in this passage, he goes from, he goes from a theme called from greater to lesser. He talks about the greater thing. And he said, if that be the case, then the lesser thing must be the case. Then he switches around later on and talks about, talking about flowers, which are lesser things. And then he talks about human beings, greater things. So God says, either from lesser to greater, greater to lesser. He draws a comparison. He said, mankind is my crowning creation. He's my crowning creation. Don't worry. Doesn't mean don't plan. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. It doesn't mean that we're unconcerned because concern focuses on the present. And so as the Lord would encourage us, let's don't be inconsistent. Let's ask the question, who is it? Who is it that made us? We just, in our passage this morning, said, not we ourselves. He is the one who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. We're the people, the sheep of his pasture. And then verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your Father feedeth them. Are you much better than they? God can and God will provide. If we had an opportunity this morning for you to stand and and give testimony of what God has done in your life, we'd understand how marvelous our wonderful Lord is. When he talks about in the... um, in the ninth chapter of, of um, Matthew, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without the father. But then when you go over and look at Luke, in the Luke chapter 12, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two fatherings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Do you see the picture? You can buy two birds for one farthing, and then you can buy two more birds for two more fatherings and need to get one thrown in free. This says five in one place and then two in another place. So the Lord's saying, even if you got four and you got one free, the one free one that falls to the earth will not be forgotten. Are we not more important than, than birds? Does, and I ask you a question, does God love animals and God love birds? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just irrational for us to think that God would love the birds and animals and not us. Then Jesus goes on to say, worry is ineffective. Chapter 6, verse 27. It came to pass, I'm sorry. I've got it. Behold the fowls of the air. Oh, for which of you, taking thought, can add one cubic to his stature? Have you ever stood in front of the mirror and tried to get taller? I have. I don't get taller. I get broader. 
But wouldn't it be silly to we stand it and we stretch and we stretch? He said, just look. Can you get taller? Can you get taller? Can you add one cubic to your stature? Worry doesn't add to our stature. It divides and it subtracts. Worry doesn't make us bigger. It makes us smaller. Then passage says, worry is illogical. Verse 28 through 30. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, and does he? That's rhetorical. If he does, which they is here and gone tomorrow and cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? O ye of little faith. Of all of God's creations, we're the one that bears his image. Would he think less and do less for the one that bears his image than from the lower creation? The answer would be no. Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, so if he's gone to prepare a place for us, he said, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. He's prepared this place for us. And he's preparing another place for us. So it's, it's, it's just real Ill- illogical that a God who loves and creates is not one who sustains. He's not one who sustains. He certainly loves the sparrows. And he loves us and the lilies. Verse 30 and 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall we drink, or whatever shall we be clothed, for after all these things the Gentiles seek after. What he's saying is that as Christians, as Christians, we can trust our Lord. We ought to believe him, that he doesn't lie to us. In 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus said, If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you. Where he denies God's goodness. Would God know our needs and not provide? Would God know our needs and not provide? Not a parent here. If the child came hungry and you had ability, you wouldn't feed them or care for them. The scripture says, if I, being an evil parent, know how to give good gifts to my children... How much more the Heavenly Father will give good gifts to those who love Him. My two boys growing up, I made sure that they were all boy. My youngest, he had a head of blonde, curly hair. And my wife would not want to cut his hair. She went shopping, he was about two and a half. And everybody would say, What a pretty little girl! That did not thrill me at all. I mean, I have nothing wrong with girls. But I didn't want my son to be called a girl. And so Sandra and her mom had gone shopping. And while they were gone, I gave Brian a haircut. Now, I want to tell you something. My wife was upset, but not near as much as my mother-in-law. But I tell you what, from then on, his head looked a lot like mine is right now. Everybody knew he was a boy. He was a boy. 
Well, as parents, uh, they, had, they had needs. They had desires. My boys, what if they told me, Dad, when they were kids, uh, I don't like red. And we made them wear red everything. We even put lace on it. If they said, hey, we don't, we don't, we don't like spinach. And we'd say, okay, now that we know you don't like spinach, we're going to make you eat spinach every meal. And they'd say, well, uh, we, uh, we don't like this. And, and I'd say to my wife, uh, let's find out all the things they don't like and let's make them do it. What kind of a parent do you think I'd be? You'd say, there's something wrong with you. In the scripture again, if we being evil parents know how to give good gifts to our Heavenly Father, give our children how much more the Heavenly Father. And I shared that with this morning, those of us who worry, does, is, is God... Is he not more compassionate than we are? Doesn't he care for us? Peter tells us, casting all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. But do we say, God, I know you really mean well, but I'm not sure you can pull it off. I know you mean well, but God, I'm not sure that you can pull it off. We serve a God who loves us. As we celebrated last week the resurrection of Jesus, he gave himself for us and was raised to give us newness of life. And as I look back on my own life personally, I realize what a marvelous thing God had in store for me I remember as a 12-year-old, I came to the realization that I, that I needed Christ as my personal Savior. And I invited him into my life as, as much as a 12-year-old knew. There's a lot I did not know, but everything that I knew, I wanted to belong to our Lord. And I confessed him as my personal Savior. 15 years of age, I was spending the night with my grandmother because my grandfather had passed away. And she didn't want to break up housekeeping. And I said, Grandma, I'll stay with you. And so I'd go down the hill every night and spend the night with Grandmother Duncan. Then I'd get up in the morning to go back home and tell Mom and Dad I'd get ready to go to school. One evening, Grandma now, she, she lived in this little house. and She didn't have much, but she had three grandfather clocks. They were not synchronized. <laughs> and so many nights, I'd be awake and I'd hear the clock strike 36 times. But on this night, I was up at about 2 o'clock in the morning. I was sitting out on the porch, and I was just looking back into the sky. And the sky, the, the moon was shining bright. And, and I said, Lord, what do you have for me? And just as sure as I'm standing here, the Lord laid on my heart, I want you to be a minister. So from 15 years of age on, I knew what God wanted me to do. When I confessed that to the Lord, I ran up to the house that morning, woke my mother and dad up, and they thought something was wrong with Grandma. And I said, no, there's nothing wrong with Grandma. I want to tell you what, the Lord, he's called me to be a minister. And my mother began to weep. And I said, Mom, what's wrong? She said, son, the day you were born, your grandfather Randolph came to us and said, I've been praying that God would raise up a son who would preach. And he says, 
God's going to call Ned to be a minister. Mom and Dad said they would not say a word to me about it. But when I shared that morning, that night, morning, Mom said, we kept it a secret. We wanted to make sure that if this was what God wanted, that it would be his calling you. You say, why do you, why do you share that? I share that to say this morning, folks, God has a wonderful plan for our life. He has wonderful plans for our life. He has gifted us. There's an awful lot of things I cannot do. A lot of things that the Lord did not want me to do. Growing up, I had a terrible sense of inferiority complex, and I came to find out I didn't have an inferiority complex. I was just inferior. There were some areas in which I was inferior. I spent spent a night with a medical doctor in a world mission conference, and, and he was sharing about this. And he said, you know, I discovered that all of us are inferior. We're just inferior in different areas. And I came away and I think, whoa, the Lord sent me down here to hear that. Is that none of us have, have the corners on all the truth. None of us have corners on, on all the gifts. But God gives to each of us. God made us. And we're all different. But we're all alike. In that God has breathed into each of us the breath of life. We are those Creations made in the image of God. And if he made us, selected all the things he selected, no wonder the scriptures say, Oh, ye of little faith, why do you worry? Why do you worry? Doesn't mean there's going to be everything taken away that we could possibly worry about. But God says to us, Just remember who I am. Just remember who I am. And then remember who you are. We ought, to judge, we ought to judge who we are, not, on, relation, not on, the, on what someone else thinks about us or what we think about ourselves, but think, what does God think of us? This morning as we get ready to leave this place, I pray that flesh and blood has not failed, but I pray that the Father has revealed some truth to your heart. Maybe there's some today who say, well, does God really have a plan for my life? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. If he made you, he's got a plan for you. My prayer is today that you'd open your heart to be responsive to that will of God. First of all, I know he wants each one of us to be a follower of his because he said, come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest to your soul. But also in Romans 10, 9 and 10, the scriptures say, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Maybe today you sense that God wants you to have that gift. Maybe today... There's someone here that needs to realize that, hey, I've been worrying. I don't realize, I've not been realizing who God is. I've not trusted him. Maybe there's those who need to be a part of this fellowship. Maybe God's invited you to come today, be a part of this fellowship, and we certainly do invite you. Let's pray.
eternal God, our Heavenly Father. We're keenly aware that we have come to a place that's been set aside to worship. And I know, Father, as far as we're concerned, it's, it's not about us. It's about you. But then yet, Father, as we read the Scriptures, we know that you tell us it's, as far as you're concerned, it is about us. That you loved us so much that you gave your son that we could have eternal life. And you love us so much that you have planned for us. So, Father, we want to focus on you, knowing that you spend all the scriptures focusing on us because you love us. Even though you know that we are dirt, you love us. I thank you that we can do nothing to make you love us more. We can do nothing that will make you love us less. You are love. And so I pray the Holy Spirit, who has spoken to many, many hearts, many, many millions in the past, will be speaking to our heart today that we would leave, we'd respond in such a way that we would know the peace that you offer and the purpose that you offer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. May we stand as we sing together.